0: Good morning. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, take it and turn to Psalm 5, that psalm that was just read. And uh, hopeful Advent to you. I've decided to start saying that. We say Merry Christmas. How about hopeful Advent? Hopeful Advent to you. Uh, Advent, it is a season where we we consider the fact that we live in a world that is full of tension. A tension because... God made promises, and God has begun to fulfill those promises. And yet, those promises are not completely fulfilled. Uh, God made promises about bringing justice and righteousness, about ridding the world of sin, and yet we see sin around us. And yet the King has come. Darkness has shown, uh, light has shown into the darkness. God has taken on flesh. God has lived among us, revealed himself died and risen again for us. And yet they're still groaning. We live in this tension. Advent is about this tension. It's about this waiting tension. You see, on the one hand, we are, um, we are in a very different place from the people of Israel. We're in a very different place from the people of Israel because the king has come. On the other hand, we're not in such a different place from the people of Israel. It's why the New Testament authors call us exiles and strangers, those who are seeking for a better home in another country. We live in this tension. Advent is about this tension, is about the tension of of knowing that there are things that are not the way they are supposed to be, but living with hope because God has begun to fill his promises, that he will fulfill his promises ultimately, and so we look ahead to him. And Psalm 5 is a psalm that helps us live in this tension, and the tension that Advent reminds us of, the tension that we live in constantly. So as you turn there, let me... Let me pray for us. Before I do, though, I do want to I do want to invite you to to hear more about the needs uh, that are going on in Brooklyn, um, for Joy, with Joy and Ryan and how they're meeting those needs. Uh, and I would love to see you at my house. So I do want to say that personally that I would love to see you there today. Uh, but let's now pray to God as we turn to look at His Word. And now, O oh Lord, we ask that You would Speak the truth, and that that truth would be liberating. That it would set us free. For if the Son, who is the truth, sets us free, we will be free indeed. Help us to live as the liberated children of God, even as we wait for the full and final redemption of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was 1966 in a small town in Pencil- or 1976 in a small town in Pennsylvania, and a guy was out picking in a blackberry field, picking blackberries, and he found uh, tragically a body of a young girl. Uh, the police went on an investigation, and for four years they went through this investigation that took some weird twists and turns. Eventually, in 1982, they convicted a man named Louis Fogel. Lewis Vogel was convicted um, primarily because there was a man who who was supposed to be associated with the girl who had been with her earlier, and he had one story that he said about the killing, but then he came and had another story, and then um, someone from the college nearby started doing amateur hypnosis. And they thought it would be a good idea in court to bring him in and to hypnotize this this man who had been uh, linked with the girl. And in his, while he was under hypnosis, on the kind of fifth telling, uh, different telling of the event, he said that Lewis Vogel did it. And Lewis Vogel was convicted. For 34 years, he served time in prison for a crime that he did not commit. DNA evidence has shown that it was other people and he was nowhere near. For 33 years, he woke up every morning waiting for justice to be done. And he said he never let go of hope that justice could be done. How do you, how do you sit up and wait for 33 years without despairing, for 33 years getting up every morning. How do you do that? How do you wait? When the realities of life seem to kick you in the gut, when when nothing in in all the kind of environment around you gives you hope, when you keep hitting roadblock after roadblock or roadblock for 33 years, how do you keep on hoping? That is the, the situation that the psalmist is in. Because he gets up every morning in hope. Despite the circumstances that are around him. Look in verse 3. He says, O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. And wait. And expectantly Hope. The idea is that the psalmist gets up every morning and and it's like he looks out on the horizon. He asks God to answer his prayer and every morning he gets up and he looks on the horizon and he just waits. Expectantly waits for God to show up. And he does so morning after morning after morning. How do you do that? Expectantly watch for, for God to fulfill his promises. How do you... How do you maintain hope in the face of unanswered prayers? How do you maintain hope in the face of circumstances that lead you to despair? How do you maintain hope after roadblock, after roadblock, after roadblock? That's the Advent question. And this psalmist, I think, gives us the answer at least an answer. And it entails this. How do we maintain hope? It entails, first, an Advent acknowledgement that we see in the psalm. And second, an Advent, an Advent appeal. So first, I want you to see an Advent acknowledgement. And the acknowledgement is simply this. That the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That there is evil and injustice in this world. And the psalmist, he, he acknowledges this in two ways. He acknowledges it implicitly and explicitly. Look, he acknowledges it implicitly in verses 1 and 2. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Give ear to my groaning. To groan is to have a, a burning longing for something to happen. And specifically in the Bible, this groaning comes as a result of someone who's experienced injustice. And they are groaning for someone who is mightier and stronger, who can right the wrong, to come and right the wrong. You know this groan. All creation knows this groan. Romans 8 says For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. And the pains of childbirth until now. Ah. All creation groans. It's the nonverbal expression of someone or something that is oppressed by injustice and in need of redemption. And we Feel our need for redemption, and this is true whether or not you 're a Christian or not, whether you 're a Christian or not. I guarantee you feel this. You feel this need for redemption, and you feel it in your body it 's why you sigh and groan A groan to groan is inarticulate it 's how our body articulates what words and thoughts cannot articulate. It's how our body expresses what our words and thoughts cannot express, that things are not right with the world, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. You know, it's interesting that, like, more recently, a trauma therapist and folks who have done trauma therapy have uh, noted how those who experience trauma and stress, that that actually gets into our bodies in a way that, That rewires our brains, that affects our, uh, that affects our nervous systems, uh, and, and it happens long after the trauma is experienced. So that's why you, you probably know this. Like when you've gone through a really stressful situation, even when the situation is resolved, you feel the stress long afterwards. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, why am I so tense? Like, I'm done with exams, but you feel it, right? Uh, and, and that's because it gets it, we feel it in our bodies. Listen, and here's another thing that trauma therapists have, have shown, uh, that when those who experience trauma, the trauma blocks off our pathways of expression so that we have a hard time articulating the trauma that we've experienced. That's why those who have often experienced trauma have a hard time actually explaining the trauma that they've experienced and are very confused in how they explain it. Right. This is normal. What are these trauma therapists saying? They're saying what the Bible has said for a long, long, long time. That a long, long time ago, you and I, we took a long, hard fall. And we have experienced trauma and cycles of trauma ever since. And we feel with all creation that trauma, and it goes down to our bones, and it comes across as a groan. And you know the groan. What your body is telling you, what the groan is telling you, what the groans of all creation are telling you is that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And and by the way, if that's the case, and you know this, and if you're a non-Christian you know this, but if if you have a deep sense that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, then that means that there is a way the world's supposed to be. And if there is a way the world's supposed to be, then that means there must have been a Creator who intended the world to be a certain way. You see, your groans tell you that atheism doesn't make sense. The groans in your body tell you that, that we are not just time plus chance. The groans tell you that there was a way that things are supposed to be, and they are not. And so the, the psalmist, he, 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 he recognizes this implicit, uh, implicitly, but he also recognizes it explicitly. Because he knows that this evil actually comes to surface in places. In verse 9, he talks about his enemies, and he says, There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction, and their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. What the psalmist is talking about is an evil and an injustice that is perpetuated through lies and propaganda. And we know this today. We hear the lies and the propaganda all around us. God is not there. And if he is there, he doesn't care for you. you are on your own. And you have to make of the world what you will. If you don't create an opportunity for yourself, no one will. Oh, and by the way, you have to define who you are. You have to define your identity. So go figure it out. Go figure out who you are. You have to create your own reality. You have to define and justify your existence. And there is no truth in the world. Those are the lies that we hear subtly, implicitly, and explicitly all around us all the time. And they are not white, and they are not trivial. They are death dealing. That's what the psalmist says. Their throat is an open grave. Their inmost self is destruction. These lies destroy. You know, um, the uh, Center for Disease Control, CDC, uh, just recently came out with, another study that showed that life expectancy is actually down. Did you know that? Life expectancy in the U.S. is down, which is really bizarre considering the fact that, you know, we are one of the most medically advanced societies ever. We keep coming out with these new medical advances. And so the question comes like, how come if we keep getting more advanced medically, is life expectancy down? And the reason is is that suicide and drug overdose are way up. That's why. People despair. People medicate. And they medicate to the point where they kill themselves. It is death dealing. And why do they do that? Well, amongst the many reasons that we as a culture are doing this, I think, amongst the many reasons... Are these lies that we are imbibing all the time? I, I mean, one of the there's another study by a group of um, researchers associated with Harvard, and showed that graduate students are three times more likely during graduate school to actually experience mental illness and depression and anxiety uh, to a to a debilitating uh, degree. Why is that? I've been a grad student, I know. It's because there's this constant voice in your head when you're in grad school that your work is why you exist, and it's the only thing that matters. And what you do, and how far you go, and what you produce, that is what justifies your existence. And how other people accept your work and what they think of your work, that justifies your existence. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. And so you sit there feeling like an imposter all alone, and it leads to this tremendous sense of anxiety and and depression. Tremendous sense. And it's not just grad students, it affects all of us. I mean, anxiety and depression is way, way up Uh, with um, adolescents. And I don't have to look at studies to see this. I can look in my classroom. And it's terribly sad. It's terribly difficult to watch. But one of the reasons for this is that the normal baseline structures in society that gave youth a sense of stability and identity that didn't have to derive from their own individual cells and from within them, like being a son or a daughter, being loved and a member of community. Those things are being ripped out from under them. And they're being told, you have to create your own unique identity. And if you are not unique, you are nothing. And so you have to figure out how you can be unique. And it is this kind of crushing weight. And, and you combine that with, like, social media, which, social media is not wrong in and itself, but what it's doing is that people hear a voice through social media and that voice is this is how i can well they start saying this is how i can connect and yet they're not feeling connected and yet what they do feel in there is always judged because they're looking and comparing their lives with the lives of others there we are looking and comparing our lives with the lives of others and we are feeling this tremendous weight that I am not enough and that my life is not enough and therefore it's not valued and somehow I have to work harder to produce this thing, but if it doesn't work, it's crushing. And it's crushing us. These are the lies that we hear all the time and the psalmist names them. He says these lies are being hurled at us and they are killing us. And this is actually why I think he watches and waits expectantly. He watches and waits expectantly because he has the courage to acknowledge that things are not the way they're supposed to be. That there's an injustice and evil in the world. That that injustice and evil needs to be dealt with. And he looks at this injustice and evil and he looks at it with a full throat and he says, every morning, come Lord Jesus. Because he is unwilling to sweep this under the rug. And so he watches. He watches for God to bring salvation. You know, I think this has a tremendous amount of um, tremendous implications for how we offer hope to ourselves and to others. Uh, Biblical hope, we have to understand the difference between biblical hope and optimism. Uh, Fleming Rutledge puts it like this. Uh, She says, We need to recognize the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism often arises out of a denial of the real facts. Hope, however, persists in spite of the clearly recognized facts because it's anchored in something beyond. In other words, what she's saying is optimism looks at the world and just says uh, kind of brightly, It'll be fine. Let's not look at those facts. Sentimentality is a way to sweep things under the rug, right? To feel a sense of kind of cheap comfort. That's another way that we go. And I think that you can see the difference between these if you compare the church's Advent songs compared to like many of our kind of cultural feel good songs. Just think about Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. Just let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. And if you've seen the movie, you know that Judy Garland like, doesn't accept that. She runs outside and like starts smashing snowmen and stuff. Because the reality of life is you can't just let your heart be light, but it's, it's a cheap, empty optimism. Compare that to the songs that we sing during this time and during Christmas. Compare that to say, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. O ye beneath life's crushing load, Whose forms are bending low, Who toil along the climbing way With painful steps and slow. O ye beneath life's crushing load. See, See, that song, in order to cultivate hope, doesn't deny or dismiss the darkness. It says there is a crushing load, and we need to be rescued from it. It doesn't step away. Or think of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which we sang earlier. I mean, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the first verse starts off with an enslaved people mourning, lonely, and homeless. Merry Christmas. Verse 4 speaks of the depths of hell and the need for victory or the grave. Usually not the things you talk about at your table during holiday chit-chat, right? Uh And yet this is the hope that we have to offer. Real hope. Biblical hope. It doesn't... Deny or dismiss these things. And so here's my question for you this morning. Here's the question for me. Does the comfort that you give yourselves and others look more like biblical hope or the groundless optimism of our society? Does the comfort that you give yourselves and to others, does it look more like biblical hope or the empty, empty sentimentality that we can see all around us? Are you willing to sit with people in their pain and in their suffering? Or do you quickly deny or dismiss the reality of that pain? So that's the question. Do we, are we willing to, to sit with people or, or, or do we try to put a positive spin on it? Are we willing to lament for ourselves and with others? We've sang some laments the last couple weeks. And there's a reason for that because there's a lot to lament in this world. And there are a lot of people in here who need to lament. Lament is an exercise of hospitality that opens space to sit in the darkness while we hold on to the light. It's holding on to hope alongside those who are barely holding it together. And to be a Christian, as one author says, is to spend every day of our lives in solidarity with those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, but to live in the unshakable hope of those who expect the dawn. And that's also what the psalmist does. He doesn't just acknowledge the evil, the injustice, and that things are not the way they're supposed to be, he also appeals to God to bring the dawn to bring the light, to bring salvation. Look in verse 1. We hear this Advent appeal. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. And what does he pray? What does he appeal to God for? Verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. When he asks God to lead him in his righteousness, he's asking God to bring salvation. That's why he says, bring your, make your way straight before me. Continually through Isaiah, when it talks about God coming to make the way straight, it's in bringing his salvation to the earth. But when God brings salvation to the earth, it always entails judgment. Did you know that? It always entails judgment. It entails him judging sinners and sin. That's why verse 10, the Psalmist goes on to say, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. These are the promises that Isaiah talks about, what the Messiah is going to bring. He is going to bring justice and righteousness. And when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, when we sing, Alleluia, come, Lord Jesus, and when we cry, as the early church cried, Maranatha, O come Lord Jesus, we are praying and crying the prayers of Isaiah 35. Strengthen feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. Your God will come with vengeance. And with divine retribution, He will come to save you. Salvation comes through judgment. We are praying for God to come and exercise justice on this world. We are asking for him to fulfill the promises of Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from its roots shall bear fruit. This messianic passage. And what shall he do? He shall not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth He shall strike the earth with the rod of His mouth, and with the breath of His lips He shall kill the wicked. This is what the Messiah comes to do. He comes to bring distributive justice and retributive justice. He comes to make things right. That's what God bringing righteousness is all about. And so, Psalm 98, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord. To the Lord, for He has done marvelous things. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so we make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Why? For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. See, our cry is that Jesus would come back and would judge the injustice of our world so that there would be no more unjust laws, so that there will be no more unjust pay, so that there will be no more unjust work, so there will be no more unjust families, unjust institutions, so that in his name all oppression shall cease and all oppressors shall be done away with. A world with no more abuse. A world with no more, no more slavery. No more sex traffickers. have A world with, with no more discriminatory policies. It's a beautiful world. That's what we are praying that Jesus comes to do. And why does he pray this? And what does he appeal to? Nothing less than the character of God. Look verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, the boastful shall not stand before you. You hate all evildoers, you destroy those who speak lie. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. See, what enables him to get up morning after morning and pray that God would bring salvation? Without growing cynical, without despairing. He roots himself in the character of God. He reminds himself that God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. He reminds himself that God hates evil. He reminds himself that God cannot look upon evil and must do away with evil. And so he roots himself in the character of God. You see, if, if optimism and cynicism are one danger that we have instead of biblical hope, the other danger, if optimism and sentimentality I'm in, the other danger is cynicism and despair. Just thinking like, it's just the way it is. And God doesn't care. And if that's what you think, you won't pray either. And you won't look with longing expectation to the horizon for God to bring His King. But when you root yourself in the character of God and you know that God cannot stand evil and that for whatever reason in God's own providence He allows things to keep existing as they are, that God still hates sin and must eventually do away with it all. That he hates injustice and he must do away with it all. And you root yourself in the character of God. You know, it's interesting when he was asked, when Lewis Vogel was asked, what got you up every morning without and kept hoping? Because he actually talks about how many prisoners that he was there with actually despair and they commit suicide in prison. And he said, I was close. And, they, and an interviewer asked him, What kept you going? Do you know what he did the whole, like, from day one when he was there? He started studying the law. He actually wrote his own case and then sent it to the lawyers as a brief. He got up every day, he got books shipped to him, and he studied the law, this man who was not educated at the time that he went off to prison. And What gave him hope was to know that there is a ground for justice out there. That there is a ground for my my case to be heard. For rights to be wrong. I mean, for wrongs to be righted. For me to be liberated. That's what the psalmist does. He roots himself not in the justice of our laws, but in the justice of God. And he says, There is. There is grounds for my prayer to be heard and answered and for me to hope. Because God will come and he will judge the wicked. He will judge all sin. And yet, that's a difficult prayer to pray, isn't it? Because that puts us in a predicament. And the psalmist says, not you hate all, just all evil, but you hate evildoers. The psalmist says that you destroy the deceitful and those who lie. I wonder how many of us would make it out of that unscathed. You know, the most truthful people are the ones when they say, how truthful are you on the thing, and it's a scale of one to five, right? And they're like, well, if you mark five, you know you're out, right? You've got to put four at least, because if you put five, I mean, so what do we do with this? How does the psalmist pray and appeal to God to come and judge the earth considering the fact that there's injustice even in his own heart? Verse 7 But through the abundance of your steadfast love I will enter your house. I will down, bow down towards your holy temple. See, the psalmist knows that the only way that he can enter into the presence of God is through the abundance of God's steadfast love covenant love, covenant faithfulness. The psalmist knows that the only way that he can come before God is because because God moves towards him and what we call grace. grace. Grace is God overlooking our sins because grace is Him offering a relationship to us when we do not deserve it. And how is God able to do that? Well, notice in verse 3 notice the context of his prayer and his watching and waiting. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. You see, that sets the context of this watching and waiting in the context of what we call atonement a sacrifice for sin. And we know that the greatest sacrifice that finally undid, uh, undid sin was the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is actually what enables us to come before God and to make this plea. A year ago, there was a, a solar eclipse, and our schools, the children in our schools were all out watching it. If you went out at the right time, you would have saw like I don't know, thousands of kids outside with these glasses on, right? Which, if any of you are teachers, I'm sorry. That must have been the most stressful hour ever, because if those stu- if those uh, kids take those glasses off, right, their retinas can get burned. Uh, I read studies already that happened. There've already been cases of people um, as early as December who were seeing all this blurry vision and their eyes were messed up because they looked at the sun, at the solar eclipse for six seconds without the glasses on. If you didn't have those glasses when you looked at that that light, it would burn you. It would destroy you. Right? When God brings the light of His judgment upon the world. What do you have to protect and preserve you through it? If not Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice is what enables us to cry out, Alleluia, come Lord Jesus. And to know in confidence that His name to us is love. Why? Because we have passed through the judgment already. Because God did come with vengeance and with recompense, and He laid it on Jesus Christ, and we are hid in Him. Verse 11 and 12, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them ever sing for joy and and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him with favor as with a shield. Take refuge in Jesus Christ. Know that Jesus is God's covering. Know that Jesus and his sacrifice is the grace that protects you as a shield. And when you stand and when you cling to Jesus Christ, when you trust in Him and His death and His life, His judgment for you, then you can rejoice. And then you can stand in confidence and cry out, "Hallelujah! come Lord Jesus, judge the world in righteousness and cover me in my Savior. Lord, I do ask that you would give us this ability to hope in you and to hide in you and in the sacrifice that you have brought about. And I do ask that you would come and judge all of our sin and the world's sin and righteousness, that it may be no more. Maranatha, come. Amen.